As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. That's great. Lord Jesus, as we remember your birth and this time of year, we also realize that you lived a life here on earth, that you were here to bring good news, um, forgiveness, and to... Um, encourage repentance, and Lord, that you left this earth um, after your resurrection because there was your spirit who would come for all of us who believed, and that your spirit would empower us to do the work that you have left for us to do, which is to bring this good news to all the nations. Um, so Lord, as, as we think about the beginning of your life, um, help us to remember that 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 wasn't all, that um, that wasn't the only reason why you came, Lord, just to save us, but so that we could proclaim your message to all the world around us so that other people would come to know you as well. Um, so we pray that you would give us hearts of love and adoration for you and hearts of um, compassion and mercy for, for those around us who don't know you. So mm -hmm. we give this... Um, the rest of this morning to you and pray, Lord, that your spirit would open our minds to the scriptures as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pam. Shark says she doesn't know who's on the other end of the camera, but at the very least, Vicki is. So everybody say, hey, Vicki. Hey. Faithful viewer all the way from Fallbrook. And Polly is also on. Um, and Vicki broke her foot, ankle. This a couple weeks ago, so she's definitely watching, um, not moving around. So thank you for faithfully joining us online, and uh, it's been a great opportunity if you're sick that you can watch online. But evidently last week the volume was not high enough, and nobody told us, so we're not sure anybody was really watching. So it's okay. Or they just, the low, slow voice of Jonathan Trader put them to sleep. All right, Luke 24, we're going to close it out. Um, it, the big idea for this text and for us at this Christmas time is when we see Jesus, we live to tell 
of him. When we see him, when we have an encounter with Jesus, we live to tell others about our king. And we're here a week away from Christmas, and it has me nostalgic as we went to SeaWorld yesterday, and they've got some overpriced Christmas stuff out there for you to buy, and you're hearing all the Christmas music. But it had me nostalgic for singing Christmas carols. And I think in our small group this week is we had the final white elephant gift exchange, and Janice won the portrait of her pastor that will now be on her mantle. She probably just took a picture of it on her mantle and then hid it away, but... When you go to her house, ask her to see the picture of her pastor. It's still there? Okay, good. But at, it, we were talking a little bit at that, at least Christian was, Christian's all. She's another Midwesterner, grew up going Christmas caroling. And so I was nostalgic for Christmas caroling. I don't know what you Californians did when you were kids, maybe, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, it was safe and you could go caroling. But we don't, we don't do much caroling these days. And so I don't know if it's just the Midwesterner in me or normal behavior in the 80s before the internet and distractions. This is what we did. We always went caroling at Christmas time. It was like the highlight of the Christmas season for me as a kid because everybody brought their cookies and we shared those after we went out singing. But you would bundle up. Growing up in Omaha, you had to bundle up. It was cold. There was snow. And we would go out and sing Christmas carols at old folks' homes that would be so sweet to see the elderly interact with you and sing along with you. We'd sing in our neighborhood. You'd always go to that like curmudgeon neighbor and knock on their door and then start singing just so they knew you really loved them. And you would then sing sitting around the fire at home after you had been out and about and everybody cozied up saying, had some eggnog and the cookies. And for us in the Schrader household, it was always missional. At least it, it felt like it because we wanted to be out with our friends from church and we desired for people to know the love of Jesus. This is why we were singing. And so we sing these songs still today, not merely for nostalgia, nostalgia's sake. When we gather on Christmas Eve, it's not just so we can put ourselves in the old mind and mentality of growing up and being reminded of how sweet it was to be children. We sing because we want to declare the hope that is Jesus. We want to be firmly anchored in the gift of Jesus and his incarnation, his life lived for us. And so this morning we're going to start by singing. You guys know, go tell it on the mountain. Okay, I think Kenny will have the lyrics for you if you don't know every verse, but we're going to do the verses in the chorus over and over again. Ready? So go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watching or silent flocks by night. Throughout the heavens, there's shown a holy light. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. The shepherds feared and trembled. When low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Go tell it on a mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go 
it on a mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Down in a lowly manger, our humble Christ was born and brought us salvation that blessed us Christmas more. Different lyrics. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain, that Jesus Christ is born. We used to have the kids sing that to us on Christmas, and so the Hanson kids probably know it very well and could do hand motions. And I know she didn't do this, so. Teen years are hard, I get it. But it's like the perfect Christmas carol for us, isn't it? Jesus is born. He's brought us all salvation. Tell everyone. Let, let them know. Share this truth of who Jesus is. And it relays that we have something to actually sing about. And it's beyond just like a cultural expression. It's something life-changing and worthwhile that we sing about at Christmas and always. That's why when we gather, we sing. Carols bring us joy. And as we end our study of Luke's gospel, we end it where Luke does, with great joy. Think about where we've been over these months in our study of this gospel account, finding that kingdom ethic. It starts with two births, promised and unexpected, surrender to God's promise and plans. There's angels that are singing. There's faithful saints worshiping that have finally seen salvation. There's a boy that is about his father's business. There's a voice in the wilderness calling people to repent. There's temptation and proclaiming good news to the poor. The year of the Lord's favor. We see healing, calling disciples, claiming lordship over the Sabbath, teaching about missing the point of the promised prophecies and the declaration that blessed are the poor, the hungry, those that weep when you are hated by others on account of the Son of Man. The call to love our enemies, of judging, of producing fruit in our lives, of calming a storm, casting out demons, sending his followers out to preach, teaching us how to pray, confronting Pharisees, calls to repent, the kingdom as a banquet where the poor, the crippled, the blind and lame are all at the table and there is still room. And more parables and persistence. There's a plot to kill Jesus, turning over tables. There's an entry into the city, a trial and a crucifixion. His body broken for us. His blood poured out as a new covenant with us. And on the third day, he rose. And he appeared to the women, to Peter, and to the two on the road. Then Luke tells us, with the disciples gathered all together, Jesus himself stood among them. So when we see Jesus, we live to tell of him. And in our text, I think there's just this truth that Jesus gives a greeting of peace and then a mission to his followers that we are to pay attention to and to follow after. And so we start first with this gift of peace. So Jesus 
is peace. And he enters into the room and just says, Shalom, right? Peace to you. And you think of their context in this moment when Jesus has arrived. They are fearful. They're locked behind doors. They're unsure of the future. They're confused about the past. And even with reports of the resurrection, they marvel at it, but they haven't yet taken hold of that truth for themselves. Like that's fascinating that people have seen him, but is, is he really resurrected is he really alive i think that matches what is often just the the human context of our own lives that we can live fearful broken captive unsure of the future confused about the past and weighed down by sin in the pursuit of self above all things just think about the frenetic pace at which we live in 2022 The weight of all the things that we have to deal with, that we are faced with. And this is the context in which Jesus comes and he says, peace to you. This is what he enters into and he comes and he declares and provides peace to his disciples. And it's real peace. It's peace that we want and that we need. The the only Quote I ever remember from Seinfeld. Are any Seinfeld watchers here? You're all too young because it was like 100 years ago that Seinfeld was popular. But George Costanza's dad, Frank, always used to go, what? What did he always say? Nobody knows. See? Serenity now. Right? Or at least the one episode of Seinfeld that I saw and remember, he's, he's just screaming out, serenity now all the time, And I think our hearts can go through life, especially in seasons like Advent, just screaming the exact same thing. We just want serenity now. We just want peace now. And they no longer need to be troubled. Jesus will tell them it's really him. They can touch him. They can see him eat. And it seems too good to be true for these disciples. But here he is giving them peace. And giving peace is just what... Jesus did. It's his promise that is always wrapped in peace. This kingdom, his salvation, the righteousness he's going to get is always delivered in his peace. In John's gospel, he, he tells his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then John's account of this exact same event after the resurrection, he says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Even his declaration of going, it's rooted in peace. And it's peace because it it means the cross work is actually finished. Death is defeated. There is peace between God and his people through Jesus, through his finished work in his new covenant. And it's how his followers then go on living with peace. It's the thing that keeps us humbly onward and following Jesus. Paul would say to the Philippian church, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known by everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's this type of peace that Jesus brings. It's peace because forgiveness is found in his name. The problem of sin is dealt with. The breach is bridged. The separation is resolved. One writer says the beginning of Luke's gospel account emphasizes that all that happened with Jesus is gospel or good news. It is good news because through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, God is forgiving our sins, blessing us, and giving us his peace. And the gospel ends as good news because it is the peace that sends us out with great joy. We have to be honest, too, when we receive the the peace of Christ, when we trust in him, when we anchor ourselves to him, we don't get perfect. Because life is still hard and we are waiting for that better meal with Jesus, better than the broiled fish. But we do get peace from him. Peace that is promised. It is a supernatural peace. It's foretold in the law, prophets, and the Psalms, and it's all about him. Paul will say, for I delivered to you, as he distinguishes to the church, what gospel, truth, and preaching is, as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And here is Jesus bringing peace, and then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And we're still in need of understanding it. And it comes to us as a gift of peace that the Spirit actually works in us. And we have it with this promise of the Father that Jesus promised to his disciples and then promises to all that would follow him, all that would believe in him. In John 14, he describes who this promise of the Father is. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And later he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And while these disciples see Jesus standing before them, because of the Spirit, we can now see Jesus through his word and through the community of believers. And so we see him in his word, that he's in all of it. We study all of Scripture and recognize that it declares Him, His finished work, and the peace that He brings. But we also then see it in each other. Like Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a great quote in Life Together, kind of his classic book on Christian community. He says, The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged for by himself. He cannot help himself without belaying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in our own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. So we go on seeing Jesus in scripture, in community, and then we experience peace. 
Because we're reminded we no longer have to have our hearts troubled. We can trust in his finished work. That we can trust that our identity is secure. That our present is secure. And that our future is secure in him. It settles who we are. What we are about. What we long for. And what we do with all that we have been given. So from the gift of peace. Then we go on proclaiming. And it's just a realization for the disciples that their peace isn't only for them. And Jesus goes on in the conversation. He said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Witnesses. It's the truth that we are given peace so that others will hear. And I think our our Western experience does violence on this idea because we make too much of a self-oriented or self-obsessed life. We just tell people, like, you just do your own thing. But Christianity calls for something different because it's countercultural to witness of Jesus to help others see who he is. Here in the conversation with the resurrected Christ, we see Jesus sending his followers to go and be countercultural and declare who he is. How his work is finished and clothed in the power of the Spirit, which we know they'll receive as documented in Acts 2. And we, just like them, are those that have seen Jesus and live to tell. One writer says, we have in this story, in these words, a picture of the gospel of grace and God's heart towards us in Jesus. He knows our weaknesses and that we are but dust, yet he joyfully welcomes us to be his children. Even more, he commissions us to be his witnesses and agents of the gospel message throughout the world. It is this spirit-given understanding of God's love and grace and welcoming us that empowers and motivates us to proclaim his grace to others what we're meant to tap into when we see Jesus, that we would be enthused, brought to life, and share who he is. We know this is how it's supposed to be, that the church is to be those that are proclaiming the goodness of Christ. Paul tells the Corinthian church that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are what ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So those that believe in Jesus are now part of this mission. It doesn't just like solve your sin issue, but it brings you in this experience of peace and proclaiming. And Jesus' death and resurrection connect to the apostles' mission in this moment to all nations. And it begins in Jerusalem that they would go out and declaring the forgiveness of sins in his name. Kent Hughes says the gospel was and is for the world. We are to be gospel men and women who proclaim that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And our message is not a philosophy. It's not even a way of life. It is the eternal good news based on historical events prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled by Jesus the Messiah. We are to preach Christ and him crucified. 
So his peace going through people that have seen Jesus, those that are made salt and light. And for us, it takes on different um, varied ways. It might look like just a direct conversation with somebody. It might be handing out a card that reminds them of the gift of Christ. It can come in different ways and different opportunities and all of it used for the glory of Christ, the peace bringing king. Peter tells the church that in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Do it yet with gentleness and respect. So we are strengthened to spread the good news when we are indwelt by the spirit and are convinced that the good news we preach is true. And we're only convinced when we experience this peace of Christ. We preach not fairy tales, but something that has truly happened in history. We know it to be true. We've experienced it through the gift of the Spirit. And we then go on reaching the world. It's appropriate that Shar shared today of her work. And our global team will be meeting after service to uh, have designs on motivating and mobilizing us as a church. And it always starts right here from home. And then by the Spirit, come what may, it's always anchored in this peace of Jesus. This is what we proclaim when we sing our Christmas carols and all the songs we sing. It's what we live for when we gather to study scripture, to see Jesus and to be filled with the spirit that we would take this message of peace to all that would hear. So when we see Jesus, we live to tell of him. The first exhortation is just that you would see Jesus. Commit to it. Like, ask the Lord to help you that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to the truth of Christ in all of Scripture. That He would show you Himself in community and then surrender to Him. Make Him Lord. Give Him full reign of your life. That seeing Jesus, you would experience His peace. And then. Proclaim, tell all who will hear that there, this is where real peace is actually found, where real purpose, real life. We may not always live up to this New Testament example of proclaiming, but we rest in Christ's pursuit of us and then we're renewed to go on telling again from every mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a a Savior who is Christ the Lord. As Luke finished his gospel, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Go tell it on a mountain over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. That peace can be found in the forgiveness of sins and a life with our King. Shall we go and tell it on a mountain? Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for Christmas. Even beyond words that we can describe, your peace that arrives, the 
work that you take on, the gravity of life fully owned by you and your body broken for us on the cross. New life given to us through your resurrection and that call, the commissioning that you give us to tell others that forgiveness can be found in you. Lord, for some of us, it's probably been a little bit since we can say that we've truly experienced your peace. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come again and give us reminders, tangible reminders in a sense of the peace of Christ. That the work truly is finished, that we are secure, that we can have life in you. Lord, from that peace, would you use us moving in to the next year to be a people who proclaims your finished work in peace to those in need. That we would see new opportunities and others would be drawn in as we make an appeal. You working through us for your glory and for our good. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.